everybody, welcome to My Town Hustle. Today's episode uh, is going to be something we've never done before. It's going to be a 30-minute consulting session. Mm. So stay tuned. Welcome to My Town Hustle, where we take an in-depth look at the people, policies, and processes that make small towns work. Focusing on trends in urbanism and creative economies, My Town Hustle explores the ideas that make our community special. So sit back and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jared Perry, and today we're going to be doing something a little different than uh, if you're familiar with our program, what we do here. Uh, it's going to be a little different. We're not mm-hmm. going to talk about a certain topic from an educational standpoint. We're going to kind of look at a hypothetical issue that might happen in uh, your your hometown. So uh, I'm going to kind of pose and outline a problem. Okay that a, a city or municipality might have, and then we're going to kind of take a, a look at what critical thinking might be on a consultant's end um, for that if, say, a consultant was asked to, you know, give a thumbs up or thumbs down, you know, quick and dirty 30-minute style research thing. So mm-hmm. uh, the outline of this problem is going to revolve around pedestrian safety. Um, a city has been approached by a community partner that has kind of a multi-campus site. You know, that could be anything from uh, a large software company that's yep. got kind of buildings everywhere and people kind of moving back and forth or mm-hmm. uh, could be, you know, a factory that's got yep. employees traveling or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, higher education, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got a concern, real or perceived, of pedestrian safety and they've brought that to a city official. Yeah. Um, some kind of paint a little word picture for you here. Uh, the the issue or perceived issue revolves around a single stretch of uh, road that's about 1,400 feet, so three city blocks or so. Yeah. Um, and there are currently um, two crosswalks. The topography of the street is pretty flat, except maybe in the, the latter two-thirds there's a giant hill. Right. So visibility is kind of limited as you approach that hill. Um, But uh, there are two crosswalks, one at the top of that hill and then one at the bottom of that hill. Um, The the perception is there's a lot of moving parts, both in the community and of the actual company organization itself, uh, traversing this right of way. So the city has been approached by this community partner to take a look at this. So the first thing, you know, that I want to look at, and because this is so different, I didn't even introduce you guys. I got the Yoda of all things government, Brett Alfin. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey. Brought it back. <laughs> yes. uh, and I've got Sam Tootin of Sixmo City Services as well. What's going on? Uh, so the first thing that I want to look at is, you know, just kind of purely transactional. Right. Okay. What does the data say? And we're we're using a hypothetical situation, but we've we've compiled data to kind of bring context into this conversation. Sure. Yeah. So what does the, the data say, Brett? So the data in this area says that between twenty sixteen and twenty twenty, at the two intersections that that are at the ends of this segment, 
there were 28 recorded crashes. Okay. So five years, 28 crashes. Yeah, there's five yeah. crashes. Every, yeah. Start over. There are 28 crashes in five years. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Sounds better. Uh, 25 of those crashes were property damage only. So the only thing in, impacted by that crash was the vehicle or the 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 I, the structure or thing that you hit with your vehicle, whatever. The, yeah. that, that was the only thing impacted. Okay. There was one uh, incident where there was an injury possible, and then there was two. There were two incidents where there was a minor injury suspected. Of those, uh, zero of those uh, incidents were alcohol-related, and there was one where drugs were suspected. And it's important to know that there were zero during this period, and also zero going back as far as 2008, uh, zero recorded incidents that involved a pedestrian or a pedicycle of any kind. So, yeah. you know, if Sam's out there riding his unicycle, that would count. So, mm. yeah. uh, any kind of bike or pedestrian. Single big wheel. Yeah, yes. Single big wheel. Single big wheel. So, there was no th- no recorded incidents of bike or pedestrian incidents it, going back to 2016 and also going back to 2008. Yeah. Okay. So, I think the first thing, too, we want to paint is that we looked for data of crashes or accidents between right. multi-modes of transportation. Yep. Even though it's brought up by pedestrians, so that let's let's feed off that. Right. Also, one more caveat to that: the data at those intersections, we were looking at anything within 250 feet of that intersection. So we were using utilizing a radius to say any crashes that were within 250 feet of this intersection, we're going to, for the purpose of this, attribute to this intersection. Yeah. Okay. So Which is substantial. Um, it is considering the the segment we're talking about is 1,400 feet. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about 500 feet on the each each end of that. So you're adding another thousand feet worth of potential, yep. whatever. So, okay. Um, that's the, the data and you were able to pull that's publicly available information here in Ohio. You would need to apply for, right? Yeah. Oh, oh sh- crazy big shout out to the Ohio department of transportation. They have some of the finest data resources and people available. Uh, I've worked with other data and sets and other things from other States and ODOTS is great. So they have a tool called Tim's, um, and it's an online mapping system. They also have another tool called GCAT that you can go into that will give you the crash data. Those I will cool link names. Yeah, yeah, they're cool names. Yeah. Um, uh, I will link those in the show notes. I will tell you that you do have to register to have access to those. Um, I don't know what would preclude you from getting an account. Um, certainly, I have an account, and, and so I'd be happy to show you how to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my first question um regarding data is do we have any data um that would you know let's say like the absolute easiest solution right maybe not in a public sense but the easiest solution let's shut the street down sure okay do we have any traffic study data that would tell us what kind of an inconvenience that would be to the community I think in this particular scenario, we do. Fortuitous of us. Interesting. (laughs) We do. I think that's an important question to ask for those out there that are going through this as you're going kind of down this hypothetical situation. You know, what's the traffic data uh, as well as that? So we do have that, which I believe was done in 2019. And it's about um, 2,000 cars that run through uh, that stretch. Close to daily, yeah, two hundred. Um, I'm just ra- I'm just roughing two hundred just to give a general picture. Two hundred during the AM peak, around two hundred during the uh, mid lunch peak, and then like two fifty um, around the PM peak. So 
that's the traffic counts we're looking at. And then on top of that, the study, I think, showed, uh, I'll let Brett go into that data, of when it was, uh, if it were to be closed, what are the other intersections? How, how would you be impacted, right, based yeah. off that count? Sure. The most interesting part that came out of that traffic study was that it illustrated that closing that road fully would add, in most, ca- in most cases, a maximum of five seconds to your trip if you had to take alternative routes to get to your destination. Most of the uh, values that were illustrated were really less than one second. So the, the impact on actual travel, according to the data, was largely negligible. Yeah. And so that's a kind of a whole nother, we're not going to jump into the, you know, vacating a right of way sure. or something like that. Yeah. Um, but to just kind of illustrate the, how the community would be impacted by that based on the data. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to have a five second moment of silence for how long of an inconvenience it would be for the average person in the community. That's it. Done. How about, how about that? How about yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. Just throwing that out there for whoever may want to look at that. Um, okay. So the next maybe thing that we look at is, do we have any other similar scenarios inside of uh, the same city so the road network that's in the area that we're talking about or that it's you know that we're thinking about is um, level of service a b and c so Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with what level of service is in transportation planning regard it's a numerical measure attributed to road segments that illustrates how well or poorly traffic is moving across that segment Mm -hmm. and it's a value from zero to one and anything, and this is just a rule of thumb that I work on in my experiences, anything over 0.7 is bad or poor, you know, poor service. You've got traffic, you've got congestion, you're getting significant delays. Anything less than 0.7 is, the lower it is, the better, uh, but it's good or acceptable. Okay. So most of, the, most of the segments in this scenario are similar to, they're all the same, very same level of service that we're talking about. So there isn't a, wide, there isn't a super wide variation in traffic movement. There is difference in traffic volumes. Um, and and there, is, there are also differences in pedestrian volume. So the area that we're talking mm-hmm. about, we might argue in this scenario, is maybe a greater level of pedestrian activity than many other places on a regular basis. Now, mm-hmm. yeah. Your downtown core at certain moments when you're having festivals or special outdoor events or those kinds of things, obviously it's going to have really, really high pedestrian incident, you know, high volumes of pedestrians. But on a regular every day, you know, it's just a random Tuesday afternoon. This area for purposes of our analysis is a higher pedestrian or bike volume than any place else. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's kind of a generalization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, do we have anything where there are similar or maybe enhanced measures on those, you know, apples to apples scenarios or as close as we can get? I don't, I don't know if it's exactly apples to apples. I mean, we there are areas where there are other proactive countermeasures for pedestrian safety. You know, ex- yeah. backplating, additional lighting, um, raised humps in the street to signify the, the specific pedestrian areas. You Bump know, outs. So, Exactly. So there, there are other what I would call kind of passive countermeasures out there that are in place in these other locations, not in the area that we're talking about, that we're analyzing right now. But there are other, we do have examples of that in, in the larger community. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Okay. Other than maybe a sign that says yield to pedestrian. Sure. Only sure. notification. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, so I think that would take us to the next logical step that you kind of want to wrestle with, mm-hmm. you know, from a city official standpoint is decision-making types, mm-hmm. proactive versus reactive. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, Sam, do you want to kind of take the proactive approach and then, Brett, you kind of take the reactive okay. kind of play that out yeah i'll do that um proactive for me would be then moving looking at the pedet the actual traffic patterns quote unquote of the pedestrians the risk the risk yeah. of of um of where these people are walking within this stretch um because it's a multi-use kind of stretch with different places to go places to be it's not you know most of them aren't going to be as similar to a downtown core um or designed that way of a normal pedestrian area so i I think looking at it in terms of where people are going to be walking you can then maybe make your improvements from that point you can be you can be you can just go ahead without worrying about the data of the crash right there's no there hasn't been one but if you want to be proactive because you know it's a high volume pedestrian well what is the high volume of the pedestrian actually walking there and then implement something, whether it's, you know, a couple more crosswalks or it's those, it's a raised speed bump, you know, pathway. It's a signal, you know, with a flashing yep. beacon, something of that nature. You could be proactive that way. Um, but that's, again, we're looking at on the pedestrian side. They're perceived that it's a safety issue. We've looked at it one way where there's no reported crashes of that, but we know it's a high volume of people walking. Mm-hmm. So I want to, we would want to analyze that and then just understand where people are walking, where they're going. Yeah. And I think to, to tag along to a proactive, if you are, and we don't, we don't have any data on this in this specific hypothetical situation. Yeah. Yeah. If the citizenry is contacting you, that there might be a concern here. Yep. Yeah. That would be another indicator. Yeah. Right. Well, and like an example, there would be, I know in a town across the street from, or across the river from us, excuse me, there's a Dollar General office, like a state route. And you can tell where people have walked to get there because there's no sidewalk, right? So that's a scenario. Desire paths. We know that's a... You read my mind, man. (laughs) We know that's a designated path, you know, so, um, and unmarked path that people are going to take. So that's kind of where that's, that's where I'm coming from it, you know. Yep. As being proactive. All right. Counter argument? So I'm the bad guy, the reactive. Mm-hmm. So the reactive approach would be, yes, we understand that there is a concern here, but we are either we cannot or we're choosing not to take action here until something happens. So if there's a pedestrian concern here, we will be urged into action once there is an incident. So whether there's a crash, let, let's hope it's not a fatality or a serious injury, but basically... You have to have that event happen or in order to urge you into taking action. Yeah. So like Sam is saying, and that's in his scenario, you're anticipating the risk, right? Mm-hmm. There's a high volume of pedestrians here. There's a high volume of cars here. I'm not, I'm smart enough to know that when you put those together, mm-hmm. <laughs> danger is afoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're anticipating that yeah. in our, in what, in my side and in, in reacting, I'm just saying, okay, I, I am also realizing that there's danger here. I'm not going to deploy any countermeasures or really do anything until something happens. Yeah. And unfortunately, that may be too late for somebody in the worst case scenario. And so, uh, but I will say, you know, both are valid approaches to addressing the issue because 
we have resource constraints and we have a lot of needs that we're trying to address. So yeah. I can't really fault a party for going either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what the proactive approach, the, the re, sorry, the reactive approach yeah. would be. And I think yeah. that's what put cities, puts city officials or, or anybody in, in governing or, or leadership is you, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. The proactive but, approach is a very, it's a very hard place to govern from because it's expensive. Right. And the reactionary is also a very hard place to govern from. Right. It's socially expensive. It, yeah, it yeah. absolutely is. So you kind of look at, and this is, I'm going to lead us down to this, this path and hopefully you can shed some light on, you know, what ODOT provides sure. at, at least ODOT. I'm sure, you know, Pennsylvania dot and all, all these sure. other institutions do as well. Yeah. But you know, you kind of want to have some empirical data you know, to say, what is that threshold? You know, um, because like you're saying, hopefully you don't have a fatality. If you're going to err on the side of, you know, reactionary, what are some indicators at least that, you know, a transportation authority like ODOT has come up with to say, yeah, if you hit this threshold, let's take a deeper look at this. Sure. So ODOT has a very significant safety project funding program. And there's really two criteria that kind of allow you to enter the consideration of, of doing a project in that program. So if you have, and this is another kind of rule of thumb, and I think this is still accurate, I believe it is. If you have 10 crashes at a location in a three-year period, you know, that's a minimum threshold for, okay, we probably need to do a safety study. If that safety study then yields um, outcomes that we think are you know worrisome, then we can go further into developing countermeasures, developing approaches to resolving the challenge. Um, so 10 crashes over three years, or... If your injury or fatality rate is higher than the state average, uh, that's another consideration that would suffice uh, as an eligibility criteria. So if, if you've got a location that meets one of those two criteria, you can at least take the next step of saying, okay, well, maybe there's some assistance out there that we can do some additional study to then lead potentially lead us up to a project implementation. Right. And every state, I'm sure, has something similar to that. That's just kind of common sense transportation planning and good use of public funding. I think that's common. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't want to like belabor this. I don't want this to get too long. What are we at? Like almost 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. A little less. Okay. So in the, the quick, you know, in the consulting where a lot of times, especially on on-call contracts, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're, 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 asked to be kind of that stopgap between technical availability and technical mm-hmm. ability. So you'll get asked like a quick and dirty, like thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, what are we looking at here? Mm-hmm. It would sound like from the data you gave me originally and the very last piece of information about that 10 uh, crashes in a three year period is it would sound like the intersections at least that we're hypothetically discussing yep. would warrant some additional studies. Yes. So the quick and dirty is, Hey, based on the data, you know, you could, you could take a peek at this and, and try to get some, some more, um, information to make a better decision. Yeah. Or at least a more informed decision. Sure. Right. Um, okay. I'm going to issue guys a bonus. Oh, Oh, nice. Nice. Wanted to get to this. Nice. Um, so a lot of times, you know, when we talk here on my town hustle, we're, we're specifically talking about smaller towns Like we live in Marietta, Ohio and you know, we're 14, 15,000 people. How many square miles? About eight, nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
it, it's relatively small and we're we're a town we're rural Appalachia so there's there's a lot of needs in this town yep. mm-hmm. so there's definitely the yin and the yang between proactive and reactive mm-hmm. if are there any things that are I want to say super efficient and economical to kind of if you just want to say let's mitigate this yep Yep. Uh, we want to help your great community partner and like i said there's it's more than just the organization this is a public crossway yep. as well um what are what are some options that you can do relatively cheap and inexpensively well i think well, the knee jerk in these scenarios is to like do they like how do we rebuild this intersection yeah. for 10 million dollars i mean yeah. you know that's the knee yeah. jerk is like what's the nuclear bomb version of what we must do yeah uh, the the you know and I'm old I'm gonna be 42 this Saturday or Sunday holla oh, um, the old transportation planner in me will tell you you would be shocked at how much you could do with signage yeah. backplates striping speed bumps things like that the cool thing about that is in this particular scenario so if you've got this happening in your community it costs you really very little or per- perhaps nothing to put out a temporary speed bump put up a stop mm-hmm. sign temporarily. Mm-hmm. Add some additional striping. It could even be tape. It could be chalk paint in an area that where you want to, you know, try to mitigate some of these through low impact, low cost options. Yep. And if those things are working, there is a way to do that in a more permanent way. But I, I'm just encouraging folks, and I think what Jared is saying is, you don't always have to go for the nuclear option. Close the street. Yeah. Dig a tunnel. Build a bridge. You like you yeah. don't have to do the nuclear option. There are a lot of other things that you can try. And you can literally try it in partnership with your stakeholders, with your DOT, with your local, your stakeholder organization, mm-hmm. and see if any of that mitigates the condition that you're concerned about. And so I would encourage folks out there to think about that. Uh, it yep. doesn't always have to be the, the big gorilla. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Installing stop signs could be, it's relatively inexpensive. Sure. And, you know, compared to even, uh, you know, having a full-on traffic light, sure. you know, red, yellow, green, um, everybody's got to stop. So there's uh, much more, there's lots of studies regarding safety in that um, aspect. I had another question and I lost it. (sighs) Well, I'll let you, I'll give you time to think about it because I do want to, I'd be, I would regret not to say, I should have said desire path. When I was talking about earlier in that scenario of, of, uh, it hit me now, Mm -hmm. of Dollar General, it's a desire path. So, so. Google desire path listeners. Yeah. So we had an episode, I don't remember what it was, but. Yeah, but, it was in there. Yeah, it was in there. But we need that that to me that is where this comes from because we need to understand those desired paths that that is creating this uh perception that there's a safety issue. Well, yep. and to Sam's but, point, a lot of times in the in the case of the desire path, people are speaking with their feet. Yes. And true. not their voice, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. I can see clearly where people want to go. Correct. Because they because this is where the the easiest way to the doctor's office or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And people are telling me with their feet I want to go here. Yeah. <laughs> and so what can we do to facilitate that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is really good. Hopefully it was uh, informative for everybody listening. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and shut this mm-hmm. one down. I think we're going to do some more of these um, hypothetical things. 30-minute consulting mm-hmm. sessions. There you go. Yeah. But just just to promote in a in a time and a season of craziness, mm-hmm. critical thinking. Yep. yep. Um, because... Like I said, it can't always be proactive and it can't always be reactionary. It's got to be uh, a nice blend of both of them, you know, to get something, you know, 
that is fruitful yeah. for your community. Look at everything from every kind of aspect that you can without going too extreme. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. If you'd like more info, be sure to check out our show notes. Uh, Brett, you'll throw up some links. I will. From what we had. Yep. Um, you can always hit us up, support at mytownhustle.com if you want to ask any questions. Uh, we do we do get questions on there. We get people um, messaging us on Facebook. Yeah, we do. Um, I think if we get, uh, I think we should do like a Ask Us Anything episode at okay. some point in time. I love that. Um, but uh, we really we really appreciate everybody. I think we're up to like, 2,000 subscribers or something like that or 3,000 I'm not wow. I'm not sure about that um, last time I checked but we really appreciate it um, if you're listening and you found it informative give us a five star review we love it if you hated it email Sam Sam at mytownhustle.com <laughs> I will give you his phone number <laughs> all go, right. just go ahead I want all the feedback baby <laughs> alright we'll see you next time Thank you for listening to My Town Hustle. We would greatly appreciate it if you would share our podcast with someone who you think would benefit greatly from it. But most importantly, subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you consume your podcasts. It would mean the world to us. Until next time, folks, thanks for listening. We stop dancing and